Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, Jacob Ashworth, who will be main eventing Shindig 6 this Saturday for Southern Fry Championship Wrestling, and Chase Stevens, a favorite of mine. Um, he's going to be on tonight, and he's going to talk about any number of interesting things, and uh, I, don't, I don't say that as hyperbole. It's true. Like, what we're going to talk about with Chase Stevens, I think it's something that one, a bunch of people in wrestling already want to listen to, and frankly, um, a lot of people need to hear. So I can't wait to have him on. And, uh, of course, I can't wait to get started with my co-host. Actually, he's kind of the main guy. I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the sidekick, if we're being honest. I'm sort of the Tully to his <laughs> Ric Flair. Uh, this is Larry Goodman. How you doing tonight, Larry? Fine. Certainly not so much lately, you, lately with your prolific video output. You're, you're covering the oh, you're, you're yeah. covering the ground. I'm, fe- I'm feeling it, Larry. I mean, I, it's, it's probably pretty obvious. I'm feeling it, you know. Um, and, and I gotta say, um, AEW. Um, I wouldn't say that I was inspired, um, but I would say that I, I don't. I feel something for wrestling that I haven't felt in a long time, which is hope. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the local scene in Georgia, there's a lot to feel hopeful about. But on the national scene, honestly, I just didn't give two shits. Um, and I got, I'm, I'm just glad there's somebody putting up a fight, honestly. Well, and they certainly have the talent, and they, they certainly have something. They're going to be presenting something different. Now, whether it can get mainstream appeal, we're going to see. There's no doubt they've got the hardcore following that's going to follow them to the ends of the earth. And sold out that building. Now we're now we're going to see what happens when they go to a national stage. But it's 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 exciting to see something like that, an alternative. Here, very much so. Here's 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 what's as important, and it's not getting discussed nearly as much. And part of it is because you don't have official numbers. But you know, when I was sort of like theorizing with friends, like, what do you think they're going to do pay per view wise? What would what would you have said, Larry? Where it's like. Because it's a, you know, it wasn't a cheap pay per view, right? Um, what would you have thought was going to be the buy rate? I, I would have thought uh, n- not much because of the high. You no, know, people aren't used to paying those kind of prices for pro wrestling pay per view anymore. Right. Um, I just would have thought. But, I just would have thought not much. Now, what Raja is reporting is um, they were telling people that they thought that they were going to get. Between a hundred and two hundred thousand buys, Larry. Oh now, wow! To, no, that's, to, that's to a lot of people that doesn't seem like a big deal. That's a big effing deal. Like 
TNA in their their top their highest drawing pay per view ever, which was uh, highlighted by uh, Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. Remember what a big deal that was? Yes. Um, yes. You know how many buys Samoa Joe uh, Kurt Angle got? They didn't make a hundred thousand, did they? No, they did not. Uh, they got between sixty-five and eighty. Yeah, and that no, was that's, considered that's really a home run, slam dunk success for TNA. Though in reality, it was an indication that they had hot shotted that great match right off the bat and screwed it up. Which is weird because most of the time Russo books stuff and it works incredibly well in the long term. But anyway, um, <laughs> if they got a hundred thousand buys, that's amazing. If they got two hundred thousand. I mean, that's for real. At fifty yeah. bucks a pop, I mean, good for them. Well, what can I? What else can I say? But good for them, and good for good for Dylan um, slash Sunny Days, who was part of that card. So very exciting time in wrestling. Yes, if, and just you know, I did not see the the main show. I read you know read a good bit about it. But one thing I can say, just from watching the free part of the show, they presented something that looked different and felt different, and I mm-hmm. and I really like that. So, um, I, I, I wish could them not well. agree more. And, and something that I don't, you know, you know, Rudy Boy, right? Like Rudy Gonzalez. Oh, um, yes, yes. He and I agree about so little, which is so funny because we're both like old fat guys, right? But we agree about so little. But he nailed this one. He was talking about how. One, he was sort of urging people, you know what, let the dust settle. Like, we'll see what's going to happen. Um, and he brought up a thing which is like, God, like, can you he, – he goes, you can't make – he and I were sort of chatting back and forth. And I go, it's not wrestling fans. I'm like, Rudy, don't get it twisted. It's not wrestling fans who are looking for ways to downplay the show. It's wrestling people, which I find shocking. Wrestling fans were just like universally like, yeah, it was freaking awesome, great debut, like, you know, WWE, you're in trouble now, and all that kind of stuff, which is what fans do. It's wrestling people who are trying to nitpick and, oh, you know, Dustin bled so much. That was great. But they won't be able to do that on TNT. And, and Rudy put up a thing that I thought was so smart. He was just like, yeah, it's a pay-per-view. It's like people are forgetting how wrestling works, right? Like you didn't, you don't do the the blood stuff on your television show. You save stuff for pay-per-view. And he's like, and this was a pay-per-view. He's like, what the hell is everybody talking about? I'm like, you're right. You know, when you're right, you're right. I I, I do think it's a, a kind of a strange thing about wrestling where it's now wrestling people who act more like bitchy fans and the fans <laughs> who seem more open to stuff as people in the industry once were. I don't, I just said that out loud. And now that I say it, I go like, yeah, that's, that's really crazy. Isn't it? It's interesting though. So, so what else is new? Um, I, I wanted to talk, I, w- I wanted to pick your brain about Josh Wheeler not being involved. And uh, I, I got a lot of comments about what I said about it in the video. Mm-hmm. Um, and the comments that people were genuinely shocked. They thought I was just going to like bury him. But I was like, I said something in there that even surprised me when I said it, which was, I think Georgia wrestling is better for Josh Wheeler being a part of it. Not necessarily the guy that we've seen or not seen the last six months, but 
when he was when when they were when he was like you know all gung ho and stuff. I thought it was a great. People thought like I hated him and all that stuff. It's like I thought it was a great thing. Would you agree? I absolutely would agree because they were pushing in directions that George that no one else was in Georgia. You know, did mm-hmm. they draw big crowds? No. But they did things that were different, and they did things that were daring. And for that, I give them a whole lot of credit, and I give Josh Wheeler a whole lot of credit. And, um, you know, I, I think Georgia Wrestling is going to, going to miss him. I do as well. I am, um, um, you know, I, I, I don't imagine, and of course, you know, it's always a wait-and-see thing, but I, I have a hard time imagining Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment or combat entertainment without uh, without Josh. I I I mean I just think it will be not that it'll be a rudderless ship, right? Murder and Company will do their thing, but I don't I don't know. I just there was so much about AWE that was about Josh and personal things for Josh, right? I mean they was did show of the year on the anniversary of his, you know, father, like all of that stuff. And it's just, it's yeah, weird to, for him company. to not be there. Yeah. You know, I always thought he was the, he was the only guy who could really should, should ring announce that show. I mean, I just love his, the way, the way he handled it. And so it's, it's going to be weird for, for it, to, for there to be an AWE without him. Um, what did you like about uh, Josh's? That's interesting. What did you like about Josh's ring, <coughs> ring announcing? Well, he 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 knew the he knew the wrestlers so well and could run through all their nicknames and he related to the fans so well and you know there was there was something about it that I just really liked the way he did it. Um, it was it was quirky, an, but it worked really well for their product. Well, you know, and that is strangely in line with wrestling tradition. You know, wrestling bookers and promoters have often been announcers and commentators and they were often the best ones right bill watts yeah eric bischoff i thought did an incredible job when he commentated wcw vince mcmahon um they know the stories they want to tell they know how they want things to be presented or me i mean i did ring announcing and commentary for pcw because i knew how i wanted guys to get over and nobody was going to love the guys more than I was. And I think right. it, it came through with what Josh Wheeler did, apparently. So really cool, really interesting. Really sad that he's gone. But like I said in my thing, I I hope he doesn't get dragged back in. I just, I, I just have a feeling he's got a chance now to achieve happiness in his own life. And I know wrestling people, their thing is always like, no, come back, as if, you can't live a life outside of pro wrestling. And I think Josh should be allowed to do it, you know, give a happy, have a happy life of his own, get his life together. And later on down the road, who knows, but my God, you know, there's life after wrestling. Yeah. And, folks. and I know that Josh, he has some, you know, other stuff going on in his personal life that demand his attention and, and he needs to put it there. So I, I you know, I, I'm glad for him. Uh, that he's doing that. If it's, if it's not the right thing for him to be involved in wrestling right now, great. You know, Drew Blood said something really smart, and this is hurting me to say that sentence. I'll say it again to see if it numbs the pain a little bit. Drew, Drew Blood said something really smart. 
and it was on um, Josh Storm's Facebook post about like, you know, God, sometimes I just think I should just get out of wrestling or something along those lines. And of course it was a string of friends going, no, you're my favorite wrestler. No, you never leave the business. No, you just got to stick it out. And that's the people that make it are the people that weather the rough times and all the cliche written horseshit. And then Drew Blood said, what you need to do is evaluate whether you're living, a, you're truly living a dream or you're just running away from life uh, and make a yeah. decision accordingly. And I thought, God, that's a that's as succinct as smart a thing as you can say in that situation to somebody. Yeah, there's some wisdom in that. Hey, man, we got yeah. our first guest on the line. Absolutely, man. Let's, Speaking of a guy who's living the out. dream, man. Yes, please. Yeah. We got the former Anarchy heavyweight champion, the current Phase 1 champion. He'll be challenging Corey Hollis for the Southern Fried title at Shindig 6. Joining us on the line Mr. Jacob Ashworth, welcome to the Tipping Point. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Big big baller. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out the first question. So you go right ahead. Now this, I figured it this would be is, coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, I'm I was I was just thinking about things in relation to where you were a few years ago where Corey Hollis was a few years ago. Now you guys are both headlining the biggest show of the year for the promotion of the year. And, and he's a, he's a guy who has made himself a big deal at Southern honor and Southern fried. You're a guy that sort of carved your way in anarchy and Southern fried and to me, it's so exciting because if there's like the, the holy trinity of Georgia wrestling, it's that. It's, it's anarchy. It's Southern fried. It's, you know, Southern honor. And you guys are kind of meeting on neutral territory. Um, I got to ask you, <clears throat> is it going to be intimidating? And you can be honest. Is it going to be intimidating headlining this show? Now, I know you've headlined shows at Anarchy, and I would argue at one point you carried that promotion on your back as far as the fans' love. I think the fans' love for you, you carried Anarchy through a very dark time, honestly, a time where it was a little touch and go and you were a huge part of keeping people coming to that building, being excited about the shows. And then, you know, when, when things sort of caught fire again, you were responsible for the fact that it was even able to happen. And, but is headlining Shindig with Corey Hollis and something that feels very personal to both of you, um, does it make you nervous at all at this stage in your career? There's a little nervous, and if the, if anyone says they're not nervous stepping into the ring with anybody, you know they still they're either lying or they've been you know don't have the love for the business anymore. When you step into the ring with someone like Corey, who's obviously been you know in the in ring a lot longer than I have, who is very top tier talent in the state of Georgia, there's a little intimidation going on. But you know for what. What it means to me is to be in the main event with Corey Hollis in the biggest show of the promotion of the year. You know, it's um, there's a lot of 
pressure on the shoulders if you under, if you know where I'm coming from, especially with the situation with Corey going to leave Southern Fried as heavyweight champion and yeah. try to demolish the company. So there's a lot of pressure on my shoulders to keep this company going the way that I did with Anarchy. And they are both home for me. Both places are home for me in the South, of course. And But there is a little intimidation. And I'm, But the more I think about it and the more that I talk about it with people, I'm more than ready to go in there and get this thing started. Well, you know, Jacob, to, to get specific, you have fought guys, and I'm, I would use the term wrestling, but honestly, like the big stuff that you've done in the last few years, they've all been fights. And you fought these people who, I mean, guys like Brad Cash and stuff, all these take-it-all-the-way motherfuckers, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, And Corey right, Hollis right. right now, he's the most take-it-all-the-way guy going in Georgia wrestling right now, right? He's going to pile-drive right. you. He's going to pile-drive whoever. He's going to, like, you know – he doesn't care who he's injuring. I mean, he's just wreaking havoc. Um, did, did your feud with Brad Cash, which I just love, I loved hearing about it. I loved reading about it. I loved talking about it. Um, did you learn something from that feud with Brad? Because whenever you have a great feud in wrestling, um, like, you know, Mad Dog, Buzz Sawyer, and Tommy Rich, the reality is that that feud was that's so great but it really blunted it really hurt both of those guys career i mean it shortened their careers that's the truth right are you oh, yeah. afraid oh, if yeah. you keep wrestling these bro, go for broke guys right brad i mean brad right. cash he's ending his career he's in his 20s right and he's and he's yeah. stepping away are you afraid, you know, with this thing with Corey Hollis, you're going from one buzzsaw feud and now you're going into another one. Are you shortening your career? Which, I mean, at one point it looked like you weren't going to wrestle anymore and now you have this incredibly promising thing going. Are you afraid you're shortening your career? I'm sorry to ask such a hard question, you know. It is a hard question, but it's um, something that everyone has to think about in the business you know you only have so much life on your bump card and um, what I went through with Brad Cash was something that um, I never thought I would be going through in wrestling Um, I definitely had to step my game up a lot to go in there with Brad Cash because of all the the death matches and I've never been a part of that and learning how to you know, go through with that, the punishment and the pain. And now that I'm going in there with Corey Hollis, who, like you said, is big deal now in Georgia wrestling and just throwing it all out there. It, it's, I'm worried about it a little bit, but, you know, there's also with love, there's sacrifice. For you sacrifice yeah. for what you love. And this is what I sacrifice for the other than my family. Pro wrestling to me has been something that has – I fight for it. I fight for the companies that I've worked for, and I fight in this now that Southern Fried has put me at the top to go against their top guy to potentially be the heavyweight champion, which would be their top guy, that there's the love I shall sacrifice for it. Gotcha. Larry, please. I am a little worried. I am a little worried. You know, I've been doing it 14 years, and Brad Cash Angle did take a lot out of me, but... (laughs) 
I'm I'm not down and I'm not dead yet. So I'm I just turned 30 this year. So you know they say in the 30s is where most of the people make it big. So I'm still trying. <laughs> well, um, gotcha. Jacob, I'm going to turn turn that clock back for a moment here. And, and you know when I think of people who started at the bottom in Georgia wrestling and worked their way up. I really can't think of any better example of somebody doing that than you. I mean, you started out as a security guard and then a referee and then went from there. Did you, It could you or did you foresee the way things have unfolded in your career? Not at all. Because when I first started the business, um, I was more happy. If you can remember, I was more. I was happy being a referee. I never thought of being in the business of wrestler the way I am now and full time into it. Um, wow. There's been a lot of surprises. I really am going to say that. Um, I've never. I never thought I would be where I am today, 14 years ago, other than just a referee. But when you've had two great trainers with uh, Jeremy Vane and Slim J. Um, they push you to where you think that you've never, that you would think that you would be at in, you know, life, training, and everything else. And it takes push like that to people to believe in you. And, you know, you just, it's a big shock, big surprise. Um, But I'm very happy to be where I'm at in Georgia Wrestling. Larry, like you said, I started from the bottom and I'm working my way to the top. And I don't plan on slowing down or stopping. That's very cool. You know, one of the things that's been heartening to me to see is, you know, the connection you made at Cornelia. Of course, you came up in that building. You were known in that building from the time you started out. And then to to go into Southern Fried, where you weren't known, and the way the fans in Monroe have responded to you. What do you think that is? What is it that they're picking up on? Well, and I've thought about this a lot. I'm just like them. If you look at me, I'm not no star-studded looking person. I don't have the beach body. I don't have, you know, the the best education. I'm the average Joe. And pretty much, and I'm not trying to cut myself down any, I'm, you know, I do what they do. I go to work every day. I come home, I raise my kid on my own as a single father, and I still have time to do wrestling. These people see that through social media. It was something I used to take for granted years ago. But yeah. these people see that I am, you know, one of them, a real actually working class person, in a, you know, and I actually come into wrestling on the weekends to put my love out for wrestling. And I believe that they connected to me because – they can see themselves in me, you mm. know, someone who's working for his dreams, fighting his best to get where he wants and living the dream. And who, what, what person doesn't want to go out there and have a dream, fight for it and live it. And I think that's what they see through me is I'm just an average Joe, just like how they are someone they can, you know, get close to feel, you know, and that I communicate with a lot of people don't like, communicate when fans write them on facebook or messenger or whatever a lot of wrestlers don't reply i reply to my fans i take my time out of my day when i'm at work if a fan writes me i write them back and i treat the fans with more respect 
because they're the ones really that make it happen for us. If we didn't have fans, we wouldn't have shows. Therefore, you wouldn't get to live your dream out to be a wrestler. It's, um, you know, uh, Jacob, it's something that just struck me as you were talking right there is that you may be the only bona fide main event babyface in the state, like legit babyface, not, you know, good guy who secretly wants to be a badass or any of that nonsense. You, you genuinely have an affection for the fans and recognize the fact that they, that they see themselves in you. It's, it's really a breath of fresh air, frankly. Um, all right. So just to get back to the match and by the way, um, you know, we'll go over all this nuts and bolts stuff, but it's Saturday. Shindig six is happening. Um, you need to get there and you need to get tickets. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. It's the boys and girls club. Definitely. Yeah. You just need to get there. I mean, there's all kinds of great stuff going on, but at the end of the night, it's, it's you and Corey Hollis. And, um, there is a lot at stake because, what if I'm I'm just and I'm putting this out there and again I'm sorry to ask a tough question like this because it may have been something that someone like you has never considered because you're focused on winning a match right but right what if what if Corey Hollis wins and he takes that title away and he takes and he's not in the promotion anymore. And, and, you know, we've seen things where Gary Lamb is like, oh, you know, you can come to Southern Honor and throw it in the trash, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not worried so much about that. But, like, what will that do to you? Because what would that do to you, just being honest? It would be devastating. It it would be devastating to know that the fans, David Manders, Todd, everyone there, put their faith in me to stop this from happening. And, you know, I've worked my way up from Southern Fried, and this is it. This is where throwing all the cards on the table. Yeah, man. It's going to be Corey or it's going to be me. And if Corey walks away after everything I've done, it won't be like losing any other match. It will be like losing a part of me. It will be like losing a part of my soul because there's no reason for someone like Corey who has all the – best talent in the world to hold that championship belt hostage. And I can understand why he's doing it. And I understand why Gary Lamb said what he said. But when it comes down to me, it's Southern Fried. This is for David. This is for Todd, the fans, and for Charles. To keep that belt, the heavyweight championship in his faction, in this company. And if I don't walk away with it and Corey walks away and throws it in a garbage can, that's going to be disrespect to every single person who's believed in me and Mm. Southern pride. And, you know, and it's also disrespect from another person to say, Hey, come to my show and throw it in my trash can. But we're going to leave that with that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. man. People need, people need to, people need to go to this show, Larry. (laughs) Like Larry, I know I know you're gonna be there. I'm gonna Larry. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna have you answer my final question, which is, uh, what are your expectations of this? I'm not even gonna call it a match. I'm gonna call it confrontation. The final confrontation between Jacob Ashworth and Corey Hollis. What are your expectations, Larry? Well, I think like so many of 
as we alluded to earlier, Jacob's big matches have been fights, and I expect nothing yeah. except a real fight with Corey Hollis Saturday night in Monroe. Absolutely. He's going to get one, I promise you. And if it, I'm going to give everything I have. I've done this before and said it before, but there's a lot on the line now. And for people that come and buy the tickets for Shindig, they're going to see Jacob Ashworth. Yes, he has fight, and I do fight. But Corey Hollis is also a well-technician wrestler. Yeah, he is. And if he wants to throw this out there, I'm going to work and do my best to wrestle him right back down to the ground and pin his shoulders to the mat, one, two, three. Nice. Well, Jacob, it's it's so great that you're in wrestling. It's so great that you're achieving all the success. And for everything I've heard about you is you're a man's man. You know, you stand up to yourself for yourself. Um, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't know if you ever got enough credit for carrying anarchy through a time where they needed someone to carry them through. And it's wonderful that you're at a place like Southern Fright also that uh, recognizes who you are and has uh, put all this on, the, on your shoulders. I love matches where all the chips are on the table and uh, people are going all in. And that's what it feels like with you and Corey. Best of luck, man. Um, and best of luck with everything going forward. I, I got to, I'll say this, you and Corey <laughs> Hollis tear it up and you're going to tear it up, but you and Corey Hollis tear it up. I know it's, it's always, you're too humble of a guy to let it bother you publicly, but it's got to bother you that you're never and like in that conversation of who's the wrestler of the year, except as sort of an afterthought. I think you and Corey put on the match have the fight that I know you guys are going to have and you can't be ignored. If there's people who don't know who you are, they're going to know sad this Sunday morning. They're going to know. So That's best right. of luck with everything, man. <laughs> best well, of luck. Thanks it. for I being really on do. Jacob. Yes, sir. Y'all welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the kind words. I appreciate it. And I hope to see y'all all there at Monroe, Georgia for Shindig. Yes, sir. All right, y'all have a good night. You too. I am I'm fired up, Larry. Jesus. I'm like I, <laughs> there's no way I can go to that show and I'm like, shit, if I was there, I think I'd go. I just, well, you like, know, and I'm, I'm also a big fan of dog collar matches. And we got a dog collar match with Drew Blood and Xander Ramon. That's going to be pretty <laughs> interesting. As is yeah. anything goes with with Todd Sexton and Bobby Moore. This this is yeah, it's a really good card, no doubt. It's a good card. I mean, it's it's what a big card's supposed to be. It's supposed to, like, you know, as things are supposed to, waves are supposed to crash against each other and reach their highest point. And clearly Todd's at the top of his game right now. And uh, Southern Fried's fired up. I love all the promotion that's gone on leading up to this show. Um, and it has a chance to just be a barn burner. And certainly I, there's no way the main event disappoints. I mean, we... You know, it's it's no secret. I didn't want to keep Jacob on too long, um, but Jacob like has fought through injury, like legitimate injuries, and oh, gotten yeah. himself willed him, right? Willed himself through matches, and it's gonna be. I, I'm ex, I'm most excited to see him and Corey Hollis at a hundred percent going at it. You know what I mean? Where it's like, let the better man win, whatever that means, and. Um, 
super exciting. Yeah, I mean, you talk about guys, you know, their careers, they may not have wrestled again. Well, he really legitimately was at a point where he might not have wrestled again when he had that uh, neck injury a few years ago. So to, for him to come back to the, from that and to get back to the top, to the top where he is in Southern Fried um, is, is great. Yeah, this is, um, you know, I, I guess you caught people by surprise with your um, how much you uh, uh, put over Southern Fried's uh, uh, promotion of this show. I, I think the smartest thing they did, and I almost brought this up with Jacob, is David, there's guys whose personalities are as big or bigger than the promotions themselves, right? And then there's guys who that doesn't really apply. And I think when David Manders was sort of forcing the issue, like Charles was that guy. Charles was the guy that like, you know, he would post every day and he would put out a bunch of stuff and it completely worked. I don't think David Manders is that same guy. And so he's kind of letting other people take the lead on stuff. Uh, maybe that's Todd's influence. Maybe Bill Barron's has something to say in there, but they're really letting the show and the men and women who are on that show actively do the talking. And I think it's to their benefit. And Jacob, you know, is leading the charge on that as well. So it's just, it's great to see. I wish, I wish them success. This is what's crazy is I know people are under the impression that I like, I want people to fail. I don't want people to fail. I just know inevitably that people do. (laughs) And and I'm just, I'm, and I'm not about things being artificially supported. I'm, I'm about like, you know, if you make it, you make it, and great. If you fail, oh, well, you either learn from it and come back again or get it, get the hell out of the way and quit taking up resources for the people who have a chance of making it. And it's brutal and it's harsh, but Jacob is living proof of it. I mean, you know, he got his personal life together. I mean, he just gave us a little glimpse there, right? He's a single father raising his kid on his own and, uh, and he and and the crowd does legitimately see he's a man now, Larry. That's the biggest biggest difference between him and five years ago. Yeah, he's a yeah. man, and he and he wasn't when I booked him in PCW. I mean, this is not to deride him, but it's the truth. Like he, there were so many aspects of him that were kind of childlike, if I'm being honest. But I I don't hear a child. Um, I didn't hear a child that we just talked to at all. So, good for well, him. Well, Steve, speaking of men. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, we have a uh, renowned wrestler on the line who needs no introduction, former TNA star. He's been just about everywhere. We're really pleased to have Chase Stevens on The Tipping Point. Welcome, sir. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, right. man. Chase Stevens, you shit-starting son of a bitch. I know, I know. <laughs> I was, you know, I I told Larry. I mean, we have other things that we're going to talk about. I definitely want to end um, talking about the article that you wrote. So just know that that's coming. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I I read it. Ah, God, I mean, it's so rare that I get to read something that somebody else writes that I go. Man, there's so many parts of it that just echoed in my soul. I know that sounds very dramatic, but I read it and I just went, 
God, that's so true. How many times have I sat, been on the phone or talked to other wrestling people and we've said this exact same shit? So just know, I know a lot of people might be bad-mouthing you or whatever. Just know, for those of us that know the deal, so much of what you said definitely rang true. So thank you for that because it's nice to hear. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for reading that. Thanks for reading that. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's good. We, you know, we posted it up on the um, – Georgia Wrestling History site, and it's gotten a ton of attention there. Um, so, yes, thank you for me, too. Um, Chase, I want to start, if I could, on what's a, you know, a sensitive subject, I'm sure, which is um, there was, a, you know, an incident that occurred between you and Brian Christopher uh, early oh, yep. 2018. And, um, yes. you know, I don't know that you're – Side or that you've ever really talked about this much publicly, and I just wanted to give you a chance to do so if you wish um, about like what 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 that was all about. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know I don't mind talking about it. Uh, I at the time there was a you know I I was in a court uh, situation at the time, and uh, you know I couldn't I wasn't allowed to tell my side of the story or anything like that. And it is it's a it's a you know, it's a, it's a bad situation on, on what happened, you know, like, uh, regardless of, um, you know, that one night with Brian, you know, I know Brian for, you know, almost 20 years and, you know, we're wrestlers. That's what, you know, we're, we're men, like things happen, you know, and, and it doesn't always go the, you know, we don't always get along, you know, just, it's just the way it goes. I mean, um, but what happened with Ryan, you know, the situation at hand of, of, um, you know, him passing, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy and a very bad deal. So I, I haven't talked about it and haven't spoke out about anything because just, just out of respect for um, yeah, sure. Ryan and, and family, you know? Um, so, you know, even though that one night was a bad ordeal, I, I still love Brian, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not gonna, I would never badmouth him. I, I didn't badmouth him even on those, on that situation. You know, I didn't go to social media and, and, and say anything, you know? Um, so I'll tell a little bit of, of my side just so it's out in the open. And I, you know, cause it kind of, you know, the things that I read, n- nothing that I read on, on social media, um, was correct. Um, it was just a uh, hearsay off of, uh, um, you know, what the police had filed, like in the police report and things like that. It, neither one was me or Brian's words. So I don't know if anybody really ever got the story, you know. Um, so the the fact is, is I was booked in Henderson, Kentucky, and on my travels up there, uh, Brian hit me, had commented on my Facebook post, uh, saying you never know who you'll see or whatever. Well, he wasn't booked on the show. And I didn't, you know, it's Brian. I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know if he was actually really going to be in Henderson, Kentucky, what he was going to be in Henderson, Kentucky for. And, uh, yeah. you know, so it was just one of those, you know, I I was just, you know, Brian's there, Brian's there. It was on, you know, okay. You know, it's just one of those things. You never know. So I uh, showed up and Brian was there. You know, um, he'd been, he'd been, uh, stuck actually. He had been stranded in Henderson, Kentucky, for right at the two week mark. He had uh, flew back into Owensboro, Kentucky, missed his connecting flight to Memphis, and 
they don't have daily flights, evidently. I don't know how this whole situation worked. Uh, Brian was trying to tell me that I was trying to get ready for a match and all that stuff. So, uh, it, anyways, uh, he ended up being stranded in Henderson, Kentucky with uh, Jamie Dundee. So, he had been staying at Jamie's house for the last two weeks. Um, you know, Brian asked if I could get him right to Memphis, which caught me by surprise because I, I, you know, I live in Nashville, which is four hours from Memphis. Yeah, and that's what I told him. I, you know, I, I said, I can get you to Nashville. I can't get you to Memphis. And then the more, you know, I thought about it, I was like, man, he's going to get stuck in my house. Like, I'm going to have Brian in my house for two weeks now, you know? So, uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I, was, I was already thinking this through, you know? And, I was, and I'd come up the night, I'd come up the, the night prior um, because I had a wedding that I had to attend. So I'd already got my hotel and everything, and I just got a one one bed, king size bed room, you know. So at the end of the night, uh, when we was packing our bags and everything, I told Brian, I was like, uh, I'm not going back tonight. I'm staying in town. Uh, I'm over on the Indiana side. I was like, uh, you know, um, tomorrow on the way back, give me Jamie's address. I'll pick you up on the way back. So that was it. But I don't think Brian believed that I was going to stop picking him up on the way back. Which I I truly truly was. I wouldn't just leave him stranded. I felt bad for him anyways. Um, so I I ended up going to Evansville. We ended up going to a bar. Um, Brian texted me, asked him where he was at. Told him where he was at, and Brian showed up. Brian didn't have a car, didn't have transportation. So I I asked him, you know, showed up by himself. So I asked, uh, you know, I was like, how'd you get here? He's like, well, Jamie dropped me off. And I was like, well, is Jamie coming back to get you? I mean, I, I said I only got one bed. Like, I don't have room. You know, I didn't get a two-bedroom room. And I'm already checked in and everything. It isn't like I can change it. So as the night went on, he, uh, you know, he got a little out of hand in the, in the bar area where the police had escorted him to the front. And it was just, you know, it was just a, it was a Brian day, you know, like that, just yeah. the way it was. Like, so – probably 20, 30 minutes go by, uh, the cops come back over and said they was taking him to jail. So, you know, I'm around a group of wrestlers at the time. I'm like, well, you know, like, why? What's going on? And they're like, well, he, you know, he's locked himself out of his phone. He can't find a ride. You know, and now he's, he's asleep up front. So I was like, well, hey, you know, if we get him, is it okay? You know, you guys don't take him to jail or whatever. And they was like, get it, you know, get him out of here. So we go out there and we're joking around where he's, you know, he's passed out in this chair. So we're taking pictures, posing next to him, you know, being typical wrestlers and right. making a big, uh, yeah, yeah, making a big <laughs> about it, you know? So uh, we get him out to the car and, and um, he, he was very over the top now at this point in time, like um, where he couldn't, he couldn't walk on his own two feet. He was, uh, he was basically dragging one foot, you know, as, as we had his arms on our shoulders, you know, uh, trying to walk him. But, uh, you know, they had announced us on the, on the microphone throughout the night and things like that. So, you know, everybody's outside going, uh, you know, chanting Grandmaster Sexy, you know, as we're walking to the car and things like that, you know. So uh, we get him in the car, and he just uh, there's, he just had a change of events, you know. And, and I've been highly intoxicated and done things, uh, you know, that I don't remember doing. And so I kind of feel like I know the state that Brian was in at the time. And, he, and yeah. I was in the passenger seat. I had a designated driver. I was in the passenger seat. 
and he kept trying to kick me and the driver. Uh, he had his feet, he had pulled his feet up in the center and was trying to kick us. So we both had to hold his legs down as we tried to drive to the hotel. You know, getting him out of the car was a feat in itself. I mean, it it was, yeah. I, I think it was February, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's February, cold. It was, you know, there's like a little bit of snow on the ground, like, you know, it's Indiana, just Anywhere you don't want to be outside without a jacket on or anything. Here I am standing outside for an hour and a half trying to get him in this hotel room. And I'm not trying to get him in through the front because they, cause they already know who I am, you know, so I, I wanted to bring him in the side door, which the side door doesn't have an elevator, so I had to carry him up three flights of stairs. But oh. just getting him in, it was an hour and a half of trying to pick him up and him pulling away, shoving me, falling down on his own trying to stand him back up, getting pushed away. Uh, but I wasn't going to leave him. You know, he fell, uh, I don't know, a, a number of times over and over. And, kept, kept hit, you know, hit the pavement quite a few times, uh, hit the curb, um, fell off the steps. There's, you know, fell, even getting him up the flight of stairs, you know, the three flights, he fell down a couple of times, you know, like, like trying to fire him and carry him up the stairs. That didn't work out. He's getting elbowed in the face and, need in the back and you know yeah. it's just he's a grown man it's, and he's a man it's not like it was a little boy I was trying to carry up you know uh so I've had you know I had a had a struggle I get him upstairs made him a pallet in the floor uh everything's fine go to sleep uh me and my girl's in the bed sleeping uh he wakes up in the middle of the night which isn't when I say middle of the night it's probably 5 30 in the morning and he's uh which he's only been asleep maybe 30 minutes this point in time. Uh, he he wakes up screaming about money. I have no idea. It startles me. I don't know what he's talking about. I tell him, lay back down. You know, I, I'm telling him we're in a hotel. Shut his mouth. Lay down. He's mad that I'm talking to him like that. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you have, I mean, it, you're a handful right now. Like, shut up. He's not getting it. He's mad. Jumps up on the bed, but he doesn't jump on me. He didn't know that I had a girl on the bed. I don't think he even remembered that, you know, I had a girl drive us or whatever. So he jumps up, and and he's on top of her, and it's dark. I can't see. I just – I can feel him hitting the bed as I'm rolling off. And I think he's killed my girlfriend at the time. Uh, So me rolling off the side of the bed, you know, we – at the foot of the beds where where he – because he come off too. As soon as I rolled off, he comes off the end of the bed. I come around the bed, and that's where we connected at. I'm hitting. Um, and that was it. Like, uh, there was nothing else to it. It was, uh, I missed with the first punch. It was in the dark. I connected with the second punch. And uh, he he was he was out. I mean, he was snoring before he even hit the ground. He was just here. So, um, you know, I, I walked in the bathroom, tried to cool down. Like, uh, my hand was bleeding, shaky. Uh, my girlfriend comes in there, said that, uh, he was gargling on a, on blood that she had to turn him over on his side. So, uh, you know, um, I was like, man, we got to take him to the hospital. Like, that, that was, it was bad. I felt it, you know. And yeah. She, she's like, uh, we're taking him right now. And I started thinking about it, and I was like, maybe I'm just, maybe, you know how this goes. Like, could have been that bad. So I was like, all right, let's go sleep. When we wake up, we'll see what Brian wants to do. So, uh, you know, next morning. 
like an hour and a half later, uh, Brian's, I wake up to Brian growling. Uh, when I come to, he's trying to stand up, but he can't, and he keeps falling face first into the wall. And it's happened, it didn't, ha- you know, I didn't wake up the first time he did it. I woke up like the fourth or fifth time he did it. And then the reason I could tell he had done it more times than when I woke up is because I had these blood spots, I, like of his face print on the wall. And I, I, I was trying to connect on what happened because I didn't have my contacts in and everything. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, I got pee, dog. And I was like, well, crawl, crawl in there. Like, I, why do you keep trying to stand up? And so, you know, I get up, I help him to the bathroom, like walk him to the bathroom, uses the bathroom, comes out, and then he realizes, he sees the mirror, realizes that we've been into an altercation. Um, and he, he's kind of, you know, we, that's what the first time I'd seen his face too, like it like turned around and like in the light, because I had the light on and everything. And he, he's kind of given this, weird giggle saying, you know, he's crazy and he's going to kill me and her. And I, you know, I just know that he's, he's just Brian, you know, it's just how he is. Like, so I was like, um, you know, my girlfriend's going chase and I'm like, just, just call the police. Like, I, I don't know what to do with it. I, he's like, no, nah, don't call the police. Don't call the police. And I'm like, Brian, you don't understand. Like the, the room's a disaster. I'm going to have to pay for this. You know, this and that. Like, um, so then he, he yells at me and her, you know, to go ahead and call the police then, you know, this and that. So I pick up the phone, call the cops. Uh, he leaves while I'm on the phone with the police. Um, you know, I told him that he had walked out. We was on the third story, third floor, and that he had walked out. And I don't know what happened to him after that. I just know I didn't I hadn't seen that. I didn't see him after that. Like, uh, the police come up about 20, 30 minutes later. Um asked me what happened. Uh, I had, I have full video of the whole thing um, because the, my girls got, you know, got a quick camera anymore of videos. So she videos everything. So I have him, you know, all the way through the night, all the way. The only thing I don't have is him on top of her in the altercation, like, like hitting, he's hitting the bed, but yeah. he's, he's on top of her. So that's the only thing I don't have on video. And, uh, you know, we showed the police the the whole thing, and they, you know, it was my room, self-defense, this and that. So they told me to go back to sleep, that they take care of it. And then about two hours later, they come back and told me they had to arrest me, that he was pressing charges, that, um, you know, after getting there, that uh, the doctor had said that uh, his, you know, his face had been, had to be hit with something, um, you know, foreign object-wise. I was in my underwear. I'm like, you know, I was like, I got a pair of blue jeans and some tennis shoes. I mean, I, there is no foreign object, you know, like you can see where it happened at. There's the blood stains. That's, that's what he did to himself over there. You know, um, and, and that's how it was. Uh, they, you know, they had to take me to jail because uh, of pressing charges, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent in this country. So, uh, you know, I had to sit in jail for a few days. Uh, so I, because it was President's Day, it was a holiday, and they don't, they won't, they don't give you a, a bond on holidays, evidently. So I had to sit there a couple of days, um, got out, and then, um, you know, I went to court and I got, I was, I was being charged with a felony charge. I was get, being charged with uh, assault and battery with permanent disfigurement, um, and 
I really thought I was in the wrong courtroom. I thought it was because everybody else was like murderers and, you know, DUIs that hit somebody yeah. and killed somebody, you know, and I was like, man, I'm in the wrong courtroom. Like, I'm not supposed to be in here. And then they called my name, and I was like, oh, crap, there I am. So I got up there, and when they hit me with that, they said, uh, you know, I was facing nine years in prison. You know, the that's the, you know, that's the most I could get. And I, you know, I was dumbfounded. Like, I, I was like, you know, I got all the videos, got the proof. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, so, you know, I had to hire a lawyer, um, big, big money deal. And because of being a felony charge, and I was just told to keep hush hush, don't show the videos. So I wasn't, I didn't want to show anybody those anyways. Like, I just want to, I showed a few friends that just thought I was innocent, that I didn't do anything, um, you know, bad to him because I was getting, by the time I got out, it was all over that I'd been yeah. arrested. You know, two days sitting in jail, it had already hit the, you know, the market. So everybody was getting an assumption that I just was this wild child that, brutally beating down and that's it's really not how it happened at all and then and he even put on his social media that he, he was in a weight room accident with weights that fell on him you know um so it's just i don't think i, I don't think he was really trying to so i don't know i i i didn't get to talk to him before the you know before my court date uh because all the bad thing that happened before I went to court, um, and I, you know, I kept my distance and did follow the law properly. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't speak for him. I just, uh, I know that, you know, I love Brian, still love Brian. Um, I think he was an amazing athlete, a really good friend and, uh, you know, love being around him. I just, we had that one day and then went sour and, you know, I got, you know, I got two brothers and, we fought our whole lives and we're still family and love each other. It's one of those things that happens, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. Like, uh, I think you did. And I appreciate you clearing the air about, uh, about, about all that. Um, Chase, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, a lot of times these days when you're going to, sh- when you're working on shows, you're, one of the big stars on on shows with a lot of I shouldn't say a lot of lesser lights, but you know a lot of younger guys who don't have a lot of experience and aren't as well known. I'm just wondering what it's like for you to come into locker rooms these days when you're the big fish in the in the small pond with uh, uh, as as like one of the big stars on a smaller show. Well, I still don't feel like that. I still don't feel like I'm a big star. I still feel like uh, you know I'm I'm still learning and I'm still trying and. I don't. I don't feel like I'm old yet. Like I don't know. Maybe it's just my. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm way over the hill and I need to just step back. But uh, <laughs> I, I still feel. You know, I still feel like I got a lot to give and and everything like that. I think I. I think the opportunity when I was younger, uh, you know, because I get my I get in certain situations in the ring where things don't go as planned, and it just I have a reaction of how to cover it, and nobody knows. Not even the the smart people in the back, the wrestlers, they don't even know what to mess up. And that, and I pride myself on things like that, you know, being able to think quick on my feet and where a lot of, a lot of the new kids, they're deer in the headlights, you know, something doesn't go right. And it's, Oh man, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, and then they try to go again and do the same thing again. It doesn't work out, you know, but the situation, the, the problem is, is like, uh, you know, whenever I come in to the, 
the sport of wrestling, I, uh, there, everybody, you know, there's only me and another kid in the, in the, uh, locker room, you know, there's two young guys and they were, the rest of them were all veterans. They'd all had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of matches. And most of them had been on TV and they had all this knowledge and territory day talk. And I, and I, you know, I started at the bottom and worked my way up and I learned from each and every one of them, you know, and being in the locker room at that point in time, WCW closing down, all those guys that didn't get hired and got brought up, you know, they get, they get let loose into the independent world. And, yeah, you know, I'm running across them all over the country and, you know, they're all helping me and teaching me in the ring. And they, you know, some of them were a little brutal with me and, and manhandled me. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm almost a hundred percent sure I, I had a broken nose my whole first year in the sport. I, I mean, I, I, I would straighten it and they'd re-break it that night. So I, I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure it never healed. I still can't breathe out one nostril. So, uh, you know, but I still get all my teeth. I still look good from afar. And that's all that matters. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> well, yeah, Chase, I, you know, one of the things I loved, I, I loved about your article is it, it sort of harkened back. I tell Larry all the time that I think that I'm lucky. I think I got to be in the last generation. I'm, I'm 47, right? Uh-huh. I think yeah. I got to be in the last generation that one got to make, I'm not going to say a great living, but I, I got, you know, to know enough promoters that I could like work out these tours and get paid enough at each one of these shows that it would get me to the next one. So I, you know, I got to be that and I got to be part of a generation that you drove a veteran guy around and you, you know, exactly. your, your pay was, I mean, because, you know, they didn't, Jake Roberts, he didn't want to, you know, he didn't particularly yeah. like me or anything, but, but the pay was, you know, you drive me around, you take care of me, you shut the hell up and I'm, you know, and I'll teach you something along the way. And I, I, and yeah. I think it's great that the young guys are like, you know, I'm taking a, I'm, I'm going to this show and wherever, and you know, we can fill up the car, but it's, but it's basically all guys on the same level riding around together and they probably do what what coworkers do which is bitch moan yeah. and complain instead of learn right that's what you do with your coworkers at any job at your level is you all bitch about how dumb the boss is right like that's yeah. what you do yeah. and i don't think the guys get the benefit of that experience of riding around really with an older guy and and that's you know that's it's really not their fault. I don't blame them. But like you know they they really do have a love for the sport and they're and they're really trying. But the business side of of wrestling, you know, there's not as much money floating around on an independent level as what was going on at the dying days of the territories and things like that. And those people that didn't get taken up and didn't get full time contracts on TV. They had a, you know, they still thought they were professional wrestlers and still wanted to be. So what do they do? They go out and start a training school. They start training people and they start making side pieces, you know, side money on the side because, you know, wrestling's starting to slim down now. They're only getting like, you know, a Friday and a Saturday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now those people aren't making money. Now they're going out and training people. And here we are 20 years later, 30 years later, and we got a copy of a copy of a copy. And it's just, uh, you know, they're not being a lot of these people aren't being taught right and they don't even know it. They're just, there's con men out there conning you out of your money, you know, 
day in and day out, and there's no uh, there's no sanction. Like you don't get a card saying, "Man, look, I graduated. I'm a professional wrestler." You know, you don't get a certificate that you have to show to every promoter and say, "I'm certified to be a professional wrestler." You know, I went to this school. I nowadays I walk in a locker room and man, let's say 20 people in a locker room, maybe two of them I know who trained them. And the other 18, I have no idea who trained them, and it's different people. Or I'll, or I'll get to the, you know, the show, the promotion, and I see the guy in the ring training, and I know for a fact that guy has never done anything in wrestling, and I know for a fact that guy's still hoping at some point in time in life he's going to, get that call and he's going to make it and this and that, even though it probably isn't. And now he's trying to train kids for what reason? I don't know. You know, uh, I don't, I don't get it. Um, other than just lining your pocket with a, with a little bit of money, it's going to come and go. But, uh, you know, and a lot of them's teaching the kids wrong. Um, and they don't know. They're just teaching them the way they were taught. So it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a, and the whole, the whole thing is, is there's no, like I said, there's no, there's no government governing body to sanction things and say, you know, these are, these are the promoters that you need to go, or these are the uh, trainers you need to go to to get certified. If you want to work on the bigger, better shows, you need to have these kind of certifications and things like this. Uh, you know, uh, there's no, there has to be some kind of leadership involved, and. There is none. I mean, just anybody can walk in a locker room today wearing a pair of, you know, Jordans and, or even Velcro shoes and say, I'm a pro wrestler, and, and they'll put him on. I mean, I, I've seen it. And that guy has never done anything. I mean, the, the best he's ever done is played a video game that had wrestling involved in it. Like, you know, I, I see it multiple times throughout, you know, my 22 years in the business more today than I did back then. There is some, there is some, there's still some good young talent that has learned the art and has studied it online and went out and found the seminars and traveled and put in their, their time and they, they've done it right. But there's just a handful of them that did it, that's doing it the right way. The rest of them, you know, they're, uh, they make it 45, 50 minutes from their house at, at once, you know, twice a month. And, they're, you know, they're telling everybody they're professional wrestlers and, you know, they're road warriors and this and that. And I'm going, oh my god. You know, just... I mean, to me, that's that that was sort of the interesting part of your article and what you're saying now. It's not that you're the old crusty dude, right? Like these young guys are terrible and blah blah blah, and they don't treat it like a sport. You use the words sport and art. Um, fluidly, when you talk about pro wrestling, you're not the hardcore, like, kayfabe advocate. And you're also not the guy who, uh, like, you want the, you want a healthy balance. And that's, that's, that's just the sense I get when I read your article. Like, you know, I, like, you understand that wrestling's never going to be what it once was, but aren't, weren't there positive aspects that you sure wish we could keep? And one of that is the business used to be more self-regulating, certainly. And now it's yes. just more wide open. And there's so much bad that comes with that because now who are they learning from? Like you said, there was a time where you were one of two new guys in a locker room full of veterans. And now it's, 
there's two veterans in a locker room full of new guys who are only learning from each other if we're being realistic, exactly. right? They're riding in the cars exactly. together. Um, yep. and, and the veterans ride in the cars together. You know, I, I remember yep. I wrote a thing once where I was like, veterans, you have an obligation to take a new guy on and ride with them. And veterans wrote me and they're just like, you're an asshole. And it's, I'm like, I'm just saying something's got to give. And if we think that a bunch of 20 year olds are going to go, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, 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 let me, let me approach. They don't, there's, there's no sense of nobody wants to be humble. I, I, I put out this rant called you got to eat shit. It's pro wrestling, right? Where it's like at <laughs> yeah. some point you got to eat shit. And and nobody's willing to eat shit when you're a new guy because nothing yeah. nothing about them has been eating shit. They were they were trained in such a manner where they didn't have to eat shit. You know, there's certainly no young boy system uh, if they're you know where they you yeah. have to eat shit. So they never have to learn how to eat it. They don't have to be humble to promoters. I'll just go start my own show, right? Um, and, and that, you know, me and, and my friends it. would, yeah. Nobody has that, to eat that's shit, how it is. and I think something's lost um, because there is no humility um, along the way, and it's not being yeah, there's no, there, it's not there's, encouraged. Yeah, there's no, there's no haze. There's no, you know, you're not, you're not, you're just welcomed in. Everybody's welcomed in because, and I, and I do understand like the bullying and things like that. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the hazing of the the new guys coming in the locker room and learning like to clean up the locker room afterwards and put, you know, like, like they all say, like put the ring together, tear the ring apart, like help out here, help out there. You know, there's, like I said, there's a few that, that have done that and worked their way up. And, and those ones are the respectful ones, but there's so many that's not like that. And they wasn't trained that way. And they, and if, if being a veteran, asking one of those guys to go on the road so they can learn, they won't ride, they won't ride with you. They want to ride with their friend up and do just what you just said, like talk about it themselves. You know, they don't, they're not looking at the bigger picture. Here's what's crazy is if you had a younger guy with some talent and potential that just did things in the right way, he would immediately stand out. He would immediately, you know what I mean? I I used to say all the time in the PCW locker room, because it was mostly comprised of incredibly young guys. Most of them were guys I trained, right? It was just a glorified uh-huh. gym show at first, honestly. Um, but <laughs> but the guys who were exceptional, um, they immediately got something out of it. Like I remember like, like Davey Richards – there was nothing exceptional about that guy, right? He's five foot six. He's all of those things. But I, I, I got to say, you could just tell he was going to get it no matter what it took. And, you know, he went to Japan yeah. and got the shit beat out of him. And But yep. I was just like, he's willing, but he stood out because he was willing to be humble. And he was willing, you know, and it helped his grandfather was in the business and all that. But that's but he's still it's he's, there he's, for the guy. It's it's there for the young guys to take. If if I saw a young guy yeah. who was in the locker room and was and humbly went up to the veteran, not falsely, but just went like, please, if thank you for taking the time to look at my match and telling me what's up, and didn't always have a counter. Well, I did that because this, and I did that instead. Just went, thank you for telling me that. You know, yeah. uh, he would. Everyone would love that kid, whoever that kid is. They yeah, love it. Yeah, they 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 have an excuse. Whenever you try to smart them up and tell them what they did wrong, they have an excuse for it, and it's always somebody else's fault, not theirs. 
you know, instead of just correcting the mistake and moving on and, and bettering yourself in this, you know, I call it a sport whenever I'm, whenever I'm talking, it's a business when I'm talking money and things like that, but I call it a sport because I really am trying to win. You know, I don't care what they say. Like when I walk that curtain, I'm, I'm there to win, you know? So I, yeah. I still like to call it a sport, you know, whenever I'm talking in a public eye, because it is to me still, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wrestling match. It's not entertainment. I, the fans are entertained. I'm out there to entertain them, but I'm I love that line. Yes. Yes. So, um, so I said, you know, I just, I, I broke it over, over the years, just the people that the, the, the knowledge that's been poured into my brain by accident from being in car rides, you know, 15, 16, 18 hour long car rides with these people and hearing their stories, hear, hear these veterans talk to each other and tell things and me just learning from those little things. And you don't even know you're picking it up. It, you just are. You're just later on down the road, you're going to run into a situation and, and the light bulb is going to click on. And it's just, you're going to know how to, to, you know, to correct that because of that one car ride that you chose to go in, you know, and, and like, you know, like I said, whenever, whenever I started, it was a different era and I could, I could, it, it was it wasn't easy, but I could find seven days a week. I mean, I could find wrestling seven days a week. Yeah, I, got, got I think I was part of the last money. generation that was able to do that. I wrestled every day, and, it, and my yeah. students couldn't believe it. Like what? Yep. It's like yeah, yep. I wrestled every day, twice on Saturday yep. usually. Yeah, exactly. You, you could, could do, do it. eight days a week. Yep, sure could. And and you know, the, and that we we learn from that ring experience too, you know, eight days a week. That's, that's a lot of ring time that we get, you know, a lot of, a lot of these new guys, they don't get that in six months, you know? So yeah. you know, they say, I've been in the business seven years. No, you've been in the business maybe a year total, you know, in that seven years, because you've you still got a lot of learning to do, but because they can say seven full years, they, they're the veteran now. And they know what they're doing. You're, you don't, don't tell them what they did wrong. And, and like I said, I'm not pinpointing anybody. I'm not pointing fingers. It's just, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's happened to me many, many times, like just trying to help somebody out. And you think they would be trying to listen to get to this, where you was at and pass, you know, what you did in the, in your career. But I don't feel like they, you know, a lot of, a lot of them want to do that these days. I feel like yeah. they're, they're fine. They're fine with, with just making their $10, a night and being the hometown hero, they they're really not. When I when I entered the ring, I was I always imagined myself being up top and wrestling a Triple H or a you know a John Cena or whoever you know at that point in time, you know uh, I always imagined myself in that situation. Like what would I do? Like how would I act? You know things like that. I don't feel like they have that imagination and they're looking trying to trying to reach for those stars. I feel like, you know, and there was a time when I was this little skinny punk kid, you know, I weighed 160 pounds. Uh, and, you know, I was trying to be a pro wrestler, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't big yeah. and, and, you know, a heavyweight division. And I didn't know anything about wrestling. When I got into wrestling, I didn't, I might've watched two wrestling matches my whole entire life at that point in time. I just, wrestling fell on my lap and I chose it. Like, uh, but I'd wrestled, I'd amateur wrestled all through, uh, you know, grade school and high school and all that, but I just never professional wrestled and I didn't watch it. And everything's a little different. The the name of the moves are different. How how do you how you um, apply those holds? 
are different, and it was a it was a lot for me to learn and take in and remember. Um, just names, you know, it, them trying to talk to me in the ring and stuff, and I didn't know the lingo, so that was a lot too. So that's why my nose stayed broke a lot that first year, you know. Like uh, I just <laughs> Chase, you came you came from a boxing background as well, didn't you? I, I did, yeah. I, I boxed since I was like eight years old. Like I uh, started uh, boxing, started started a little little uh, started in this little gym in my hometown, Washington, Indiana. At eight, uh, at 14, I started training adults how to box, and uh, we started uh, bringing in, you know, pros coming through, going to New Jersey for fights and things like that. We'd uh, train with them and and uh, box and and teach them. Um, not teach them. Like we just, you know, we'd we'd put on gear and and warm them up and things like that. So we, you know, we ended up going three, four rounds with with. Uh, quite a few pro fighters and, and that, that's a way to learn, you know, like uh, you had those guys coming through and they're dropping you some decent money, just to uh, punch on you for a little bit, you know? And, and uh, at that point in time, like I said, I was in my 150, 160 weight class, you know? Uh, so it was, um, I got to get in there with like some really good pro boxers back in the day and, and uh, you know, tie up with them a few times. So getting into yeah, wrestling and getting your nose broke, you know, like uh, it, was, it was one of those things that I was I was kind of used to, but I didn't expect it because whenever I got, whenever I signed up, I had heard the exact same stories, you know, this stuff's fake, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well, I'm an acrobat. Like I can, I can do flips and all that other stuff, you know, and, and I had a trampoline at one time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I get out there and I lock up wrong from the get-go and just get my nose broke. And then get, I found out how to go over the top rope because they threw me over it. They didn't teach me. So, uh, <laughs> so when I took <laughs> but, but, I mean, but the I point lost. being, you, you, you came into it from an athletic background. You came into pro wrestling with an athletic background from wrestling and amateur wrestling and, and boxing. And, I, you know, yeah, that's boxing, one of the things that football. jumped out of you, uh, from your article was that, you know, that athletic, you know, having that athletic uh, background yes. if you're going to get into and, wrestling. And, Yes, and that's another thing. I, I see a lot of these people that um, it's okay to to be lean and and you just haven't got your size yet to be that heavyweight champion. You know, you're, you're still building on yourself. But a lot of these guys get in and they can't even bend over and tie their shoes. You know, and you know that that they couldn't they couldn't throw a paper on a you know six papers on a paper route. You know what I mean? And these guys are walking to the ring you know, uh, gasping for air before they can get inside to get through the ropes. These people are calling themselves pro wrestlers. And as soon as I say something, they're like, well, there's a Yokozuna. And I'm like, oh, my God. Then go back and look at the history of Yokozuna because that guy comes from a history of wrestling, and he knew his shit. Like, you guys don't come from a history of wrestling. You come from a history of video games. And, you know, you're in here pretending, you know. So uh, it's just – and that's that's what I was trying to explain in that, you know, it's hard to hard to put yeah. things into words sometimes, but there's just, you know, I'm surprised there's not a lot more um, injuries uh, weekly in wrestling because, you know, the weekends, Fridays and Saturdays, you'd think there'd be a lot more people getting hurt all the time because they're out there doing some crazy stuff. There's some people that I know they're not, I know they didn't pass a physical to, to even be in a wrestling ring. I know they're, they're, you know, I can't imagine what their health is like, you know, if they if they was to give blood or whatever, you know, um, so their cholesterol levels and all that other stuff. So I'm surprised there's not more heart attacks and 
and things like that, brain aneurysms, like, uh, you know, and, and broken bones in general, you know, just people really majorly get hurt. Um, and and when that article, uh, I'd been dwelling on it for a few weeks. I, you know, I had read that, uh, you know, the shoot and this and that, and I seen a couple guys post on it. So I clicked on it and I watched and, you know, it's, I don't know what the back history is and, and things like that. And none of my business, I was just kind of watching and I was like, well, is it, he, you know, he manhandled him at a wrestling and wrestling holds. It, you know, he didn't just walk over there and pummel him and and face punch him. You know, thirty times. You know, he just he held him in holds. Nobody really broke it up. He got up on his own and walked off. You know, I'm like, I and and you know, then I hear the other guys pressing charges and this and that, and I was like, man, like we, it's something like that happened and. What's supposed to happen in wrestling is that it's supposed to be a wrestling council. We're supposed to be, you know, taking the wrestlers' courts and take care of this in the locker room with all the other wrestlers, you know, being the judge, jury, and executioner of of the locker room and putting everything together on what happened, why it happened, how for it not to happen again instead of getting, uh, you know, um, you know, legal things involved and going out and and telling her, you know, regulating up, yourself you know, and, before someone has yeah. to do it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, that, that, you know, it, but that was the, that was the wrestler's way. I don't know where, I don't know why it's all been lost, but it's everybody wants that old school mentality. They want to make money. They want to do this for a living. Every one of them wants to, but they don't want to follow the course of what these, what the veterans before us and before them paved the roads, all they got to do is just follow it. It's already paved. All you got to do is just walk on it and do what they, what they taught us to do. And for some reason, the last 15 years, we've jumped off in the grass and just took off running and left it to shits. Hmm. Yeah, man. Does that make sense? Well, yes, sir. Well, Chase, you know, we got to get going here soon. Where, where are you going to be? How can people see you? What's coming up for you? I'm, uh, man, I'm everywhere. I'm all over the place. I, I don't know my actual schedule off the top of my head. I know this weekend uh, I'll be going through Indiana once again. So uh, hopefully I, I don't do any more jail time there. Um, but, uh, you know, I gotta, I'm got i in Odin, Indiana this Saturday. Um, Friday, I'm, I think I got Kentucky, so I'm in Kentucky and then Indiana. Um, but, if, if, you know, just find me on Facebook, uh, Chase Stevens fans. Or just look up Chase Stevens. I got three, four, five, six different profiles on there. I think I'm. I think they're all me. I don't think any of them's a catfish. But uh, you know, you can look <laughs> me up that way. <laughs> um, Twitter. Uh, it's it's naturally Chase. Um, and then uh, real Chase Stevens on Instagram. You know, just Google anything and it'll pull up what you need. Um, or and just you know just hit me up and I'll you know. I usually I advertise everything I, everywhere I'm going to be and try to keep it you know fans up to date and and things like that on how to see me. So uh, you know hopefully I'm hitting a state near you. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Chase, for coming on and being so open about stuff and uh, and being one of the guys who's carrying the torch, um, carrying the torch for wrestling, and hopefully we're. You know, we're in a we're in a bit of a boom period in some ways in Georgia indie promotions. Um, but you know, on the national scene it seems kinda shaky at times. So it's great that there's guys like you who 
know that there's a know that there was a better way to do things and are encouraging us to go back and continue to do things in the right way. So thank you very much and, for that. And you really can. And and like I said, 22 years in this business, even right here in 2019, I still make a, a living just being a professional wrestler. And I make it, I make a, a decent living. Like it's not I don't live you know, crappy. I'm not like in a, you know, trailer and living in my mom's basement or anything like that. Like I have a house, a family that I take care of everything. And that's just from following the the roads. I do, you know, do what I was taught back in the day. And it's got me this far in my career. And so all, all the young ones out there, it, it is possible. You just got to believe in yourself. And you got to do it the right way. Don't follow everybody else. Follow your own path. Right on, man. Thank you so Thank you, much, Chase. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Sure. Take care. Uh, you guys have a good night. Well, Larry, I know the plan was we're going to try to end at eight or a little bit early, and that <laughs> ended up not happening, of course. But, you know, Chase, yeah. when uh, he wanted to, to tell it all about Brian Christopher, and I think it's a story that kind of needed to be told, and so I'm glad he told it. Thank you for leading him into that and giving him the time. Um, so this weekend, real quick, where, where are you going to be? I will be at Shindig. I'm very, mm-hmm. of course, curious about the new generation wrestling show. There's a group out of Tennessee that's coming into the big building in the River Center Forum in Rome, um, bringing in Joey Ryan, Rosemary, Michael Elgin. So if you're up in that area, check that out because it's going to be interesting. But – I will be at Shindig 6 for sure. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you very much, Larry. Thank you to Jacob Ashworth and Chase Stevens, of course. Best of luck for everybody wrestling and going to shows this weekend. And we will see you in two more weeks on another episode of The Tipping Point. Thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support. brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.